and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. This episode is the second part of a two-part episode where we talked with Sister Maria of the Trinity from Gospel of Life Dwellings. In our last episode, Sister Maria told us a lot about what she does for gold and a little bit of her backstory. And in this episode, we get a little bit more into what goes into caring for aging relatives. This episode is just a continuation of the conversation. So um, it just hops right in. It was one recording session and we split it up. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, please feel free to go back and listen to our last episode and then this one. But you don't necessarily have to listen to the last one to get into this one either. So thank you for joining us. Welcome, sister. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, what a blessing. So there's no easy recipe for this aging, yeah. caregiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was about to ask you, so. Yeah, so what, how, how to. I wish I had a recipe. Um, if I prayed about that specifically, maybe the Lord would give me an acronym. But <laughs> He seems to do that to you. Yeah. But maybe, maybe let's start with that it's golden. It's living the golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I, I don't mean that in just a proverbial sense, but to think about... Um, you know, I know we're in Native American country that, you know, the Indian proverb, don't judge another till you walked a mile in his moccasins. I think the golden rule to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us really is key because I remember Nanny, the one who, with Parkinson's, who taught me how to shuffle and do a bridge as you shuffle, had said to my mother as she was helping her with her kind of trembling, shaking you know, stumbling steps with her Parkinson's at a risk to fall. And she used to be an extraordinary knitter. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't knit anymore because of the shaking of her hands. So there was this gradual, like, I was going to say dépouillement, that's the French word for stripping mm-hmm. away, kind of. Jesus was stripped of his garments, that that losing of our abilities and capabilities um, that can be very humbling and even at times humiliating if you lose control of your bodily functions or or of your memory, of your cognition, or of whatever it might be, of your speech in a stroke, or use of a your 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 upper limbs or your lower extremities, whatever it might be, the loss in our lives. Because um, with children you get the joy of seeing them gain mm. knowledge and wisdom and function and mm. independence. What we have to be okay with is that we come into this world vulnerable and dependent. And we most often leave this world vulnerable and dependent and to see that as a grace and not as um, a failure. That the Lord, these these times of our lives, the most sacred times of our lives, of coming into this world and leaving this world for eternal life and a life with a capital L, um, the real life we've been made for, we need each other, we're interdependent. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing shameful about that. Like I saw my brothers do so well for my dad. He 
had some mild cognitive impairment in his 80s and in his early 90s. Um, he was still technically a very good driver manually or physically. He could still parallel park better than probably the four of us put together. But he was starting to lose his way. And especially if my mom was running late and he was nervous and hurried. And um, I just saw great respect. Um, our parents never become our children. Right. And I saw the trust in the relationship in treating him as the patriarch, as the man of the family, as the father who always was a good example to my brothers. And I saw them just very gracefully intervene little by little. My oldest brother, who's a banker, really um, was able to help my father with the bookkeeping and the financing and the things that he had always done so magnificently, but he couldn't anymore. And um, I saw another brother help him navigate um, finding the day and the time that it was time to turn in the car keys. And I grew in admiration for my father, who was a very capable, intelligent, funny gentleman. To see the grace that came day by day, step by step, we couldn't have planned this. But you're gathering manna idea that it's for today. I saw God's grace accompany each step of the journey. And what it showed me was the, the beauty of my parents' relationships. So my dad was secure in the love of his wife and of his children. And he was secure in the knowledge of God and of his faith. And he had nourished his retirement years with daily mass and daily rosary and focusing on what was most essential. And it didn't become traumatic. But it was step by step, day by day, like he had always said, you can sell this house when they take me out feet first. Like, I'm not budging. Mm -hmm. I've paid it off. This is all, you know? That was my grandma. And, and, but you know what? When he saw that it was too much for my mother to keep up, mm -hmm. out of love for her, he sold it. And 50 years of our lives, they, the five of us all went off and left all our junk. I recommend don't do that to your parents. <laughs> you know, have your kids take their yearbooks and letter jackets and prom dresses with them when they go. Because it was a beast to clean out. Not because nobody was hoarding anything. It was just, it was, it was just life. And my mom couldn't part with like the second grade Mother's Day card, you know. So the beauty was she ended up giving them back to each of the kids. So like what my brother Mark did for his Pinewood Derby, you know, race car. She gave back to him to give, show his kids. Or, you know, the Valentine that Molly did, she gave back, you know. So, but we couldn't just throw things out. Not because, because each thing had a memory and a meaning. And so my mom didn't care about this stuff. She cared about the people, the things represented. Now my dad, and she cared about who bought the family house. My dad wanted the asking price, you know? <laughs> but what I saw was the freedom. God's grace was sufficient when it came time for that. If we had said, well, dad, by January 1st, next year, you got to do it. No. Step by step in love and humility and faith, just being there. When the time was right, they had the grace to move. And it did take two, two years before the house was ready to be sold. Not because it was a junkie. It was just, we weren't just going to set a torch to this stuff. <laughs> and 
So if I die tomorrow, would you please go into the convent in those boxes <laughs> against the wall or stuff that was sent back to me that I haven't gone through yet? And so please just, uh, you can have a bonfire with it because I'm not attached to it. I have no kids to leave it to. So I just haven't had time to go through it. But, but there's this sense of legacy. And so they had a sense there was a legacy, not only of faith, but family. And he found a freedom and not worrying about the electric bill in Minnesota in the wintertime. Not worrying about, did he turn out, did, was the fire, you know, in the fireplace that we had every night, was it not burning in the house when it burned down because he'd forgotten to do something? You know, because he knew. Right. And there was a stress on him. Mm-hmm. And there was a freedom that came with something smaller and simpler mm-hmm. and somebody else worrying about paying it. And he was able just then to focus on his wife and his children, his grandchildren, and there was a freedom in that. And his world got smaller and simpler. And this very capable man who had been president of the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Club and all of this lived in a day-to-day simplicity and took things in stride and ended up dying this very simple but holy death and was ready without grand preparation or grand discourses or anything but he kind of lived as he died, faithful to his commitments, to his faith and to his family. And I share that not to talk about me, but to say we didn't have a recipe for it. But we honored what was important to him when he was able to make his own decisions. So that would be the first thing. Do unto others as you would have him do unto you. But also honor the integrity of the individuality, the unrepeatable aspect of who that person is and what you know is important to them. I mean, and, one thing you said is really yeah. important. I wanted to circle sure, back please. to that. Um, is when you said your parents never become your children. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where you have answered the concern of the tar target audience so beautifully because as we watch our grandparents and some for some of us, our parents, um, maybe they're not in that end stage of life but they're just signs of aging time where things are becoming more difficult for them and they're struggling with it sure we one of the things we've been trying to navigate even within our own group is how to not parent our parents when we see them needing some a little bit of outside guidance sure and i think your story about your father and the way that your family Mm -hmm. gently and if i were like to put a bullet list to you you honored who they were as your parent and their integrity. You didn't make big decisions. You, you took it day by day. Yeah. You listened to the Holy Spirit. All of those things is sort of a template for how we need to handle these yeah. things with our parents. And we worked together. There was no, even though for the last two months I had a lot of his day-to-day care and it was a blessing. And it was also tiring and fatiguing. and It, it, it was a challenge, but I wouldn't trade it for a minute. Mm-hmm. But... There were many years before that that my brother and sister that were in town with them, you know, invited them over for the holidays, took them to doctor's appointments, you know, navigated those steps that led up to that. And everybody took turns coming to visit. And I saw the the respect when, when somebody needs help for, you know, things that they used to do for you, mm-hmm. helping you to the bathroom or helping you shower, or helping you get ready for bed and change. 
so we're doing some of the things that they did for us. But I also know that my father was prayed for and treated with so much dignity by my siblings as well all through his life as he did for them. You know, I mean, I would say to dad, dad, do you remember when I was stuck? I couldn't get a term paper done. It was midnight and I procrastinated and I didn't have anything to write. And I came and woke you up and you got out of bed at midnight and came and sat and helped me get started on a term paper. You know, he sat in a yellow beanbag chair in my room in his bathrobe and just, he didn't write the paper for me. He just was like, you can do this. Now what's your, you know, come up with a topic and, like once he got me going, I'd go, you know, but, but I said, dad, thank you for that. You know, so to be able to honor the way, so then it helped him realize we're in this together. Even if he didn't remember that incident or we tell a funny story or one of his old jokes and sometimes we'll put on the big band music. He and mom danced beautifully together too. So there were memories we could bring back where he felt honored and included. And then we didn't make a big deal of the fact that, you know, I was having to help put him to the toilet or wash him. And the more respect we can show one another already now, the easier that becomes. And then that's also where his faith, I think, was pivotal. Um, he was always a man of faith. And, and so, and unless we become like children, we can't enter the kingdom. So it doesn't become childish but there was a childlike simplicity yeah. that I, we were graced to see that I think he was an example to my brothers. All three of my brothers are excellent husbands and fathers. He modeled that for them, what it is to be a godly man. But I also think he gave them one of the most valuable lessons by the humility and the acceptance of letting them care for him in his need. You know, and hopefully that makes them less afraid that he didn't lose anything of his dignity. We don't lose our inherent God-given dignity. People may find it undignified to need to be helped with certain care and bodily functions and all of that, but you know that you don't love your child less when they are needing you. Mm-hmm. Well, a parent isn't loved less or less of an adult, beautiful, dignified parent because they're needing our help later. You know, and so in every person will navigate it differently, but that's where when we pray together, Maybe when we ask, you know, how are you feeling? What what would you hope for? Um, and they, like, I know my dad hoped to stay in that house where he had lived since 1968. But it was really okay. And I think by the end, he, he had forgotten that he had lived in that house. But he hadn't forgotten who his wife was, who his God is, and and who his children were. He might not have been able to call me by name, but he recognized the face. And so I would say by nurturing relationships day to day now, it'll help have the grace. And then don't hesitate to ask. I sometimes could see more clearly for other people's parents and grandparents than I could see for my own. And so I think to have somebody who's got a little bit of distance from the situation, because sometimes when you're in it, it's hard. Well, I think that was one thing that I really loved about what you said about your brothers were kind of stepping. Nobody waited to the last second when, like, like everything, like, nothing was working and they needed all the help. They, there's a gradual, like, hey, yeah. Dad, do you want me to take that over for you today? Or or would you like some help with this? It was a gradual that 
walking with, journey with, like, and, and, you know, like you said that they were coming and visiting and, and, you know, there's, it was a real beautiful cooperation. And it doesn't mean we always agreed on everything. Like the move to Oklahoma, they said, well, he's going to get worse, you know, because of cognitive impairment, you're trying not to have change. And I said, true, but we're going to have them both to bury if we leave them, you know, cooped up. It wasn't anybody's fault COVID happened. But this isn't a good situation for either mom or dad. And and my whole prayer speeding down here was, please don't let him die on the way. (laughs) I'll be be dead. You know, my siblings will kill me. But as it turned out, it was a graceful time for everybody. And now my mother's gone back to Minnesota. And my sister and brother are accompanying her during this time after my dad's death beautifully. You know, she has her independence, but yet she's got them and navigating, you know, she'll be 89 this month and navigating some frailties there. But also so much more to live and be around the grandchildren and leave something of, of her beautiful, special imprint and, and her fidelity to dad. I saw the beauty of that sickness and in health till death do his part. I saw that lived out in a way that was eloquent for my married brothers and sisters and for their children. You know, there was a sacrifice of coming here and not being home and, and doing things, but it was a shared sacrifice. And, um, so I, I think it's a great time of grace. And as it is navigating any of life's challenges, but my mom had always said, but she, when she had two little toddlers, she had cancer. And my dad was carrying the bedpan for her at the time. And, and he said, Monsignor Lukey never told me anything about this. You know, back in the day, they didn't have any, they had one marriage prep session, you know, and and uh, he said, when I said I do, I didn't know it'd mean this, you know, emptying bedpans. Mm-hmm. We had no training for that. He was a businessman. And, and yet that's what love does. Mm-hmm. And grace, grace is sufficient. When my mom almost died when she had me, pre- and I was premature, and he had two little kids and had to go to, you know, go to work. And, you know, there were challenges in their lives. They had lost their first child stillborn. And that whole living through the, the joyful, sorrowful, glorious, and luminous mysteries of their lives together prepared them for that stage of the journey both the grace and the challenge. And it was a very fruitful time and a very beautiful time and yet a very challenging time. And um, so the legacy was there and it really didn't matter at that point geographically, I don't think to him anymore where he was, it mattered who he was with. And so that's important. So I would say do unto others, personalize our interventions or our care or our help to that person. So my dad died with having received, he had shared Holy Communion with my mother and she was at his bedside with the, doing the time of Thanksgiving and holding his hand. He had just received Holy Communion. I think, and I was in serving dinner to the other people we take care of and I hated, I'd been in so many people's bedsides and I wasn't at my own father's. I was, you know, from here to the kitchen cupboards away. But it, what is that? 40 feet, 50 feet. I was not far, but I wasn't there when he died. And at first I had this pain of, well, I missed it. And I realized my father was so devoted in marriage to my mother that I think that intimacy of Holy Communion, that intimacy they had shared in their married life was exactly the perfect passing from this life to the next. We'd been there with them and we'd prayed with them and we'd, you know, and it was a Saturday evening, and I was serving dinner around the table to everybody. Well, Saturday evening dinners were sacred in our house. We couldn't go out until we had Saturday evening dinner together. He'd either be cooking steaks on the grill and shooting hoops with us, 
We had his hi-fi on with records of, you know, Glenn Miller Band or Tommy Dorsey or Bing Crosby or I don't know, Nat King Cole. And so Saturday dinners were like almost immortalized in our home. And sometimes I hated it because I wanted to go out with my friends, you know, as a teenager who thought she knew everything. But what a beautiful time. And I realized I was serving Saturday dinner if something I had learned my father, how important it was to be together. We could have friends over. Anybody could come over we wanted for Saturday dinner, but we couldn't go anywhere until we'd had dinner together. And I said, how fitting. He was with my mother. Now, my mother, I think my father said, when he, I married your mother, I married the world. I think my mother, the more, the better around her bedside. You know, the kids, the grandkids, the neighbors, the one from down the street, the person she doesn't even know, the guys dropping off medicines. They're all welcome. I think if I could orchestrate, think how God would want to orchestrate for my mother, everybody would be there. You know, like no standing room only, singing because none of us can sing. And so we have somebody in there that can sing, you know. And so, but that's the beauty is just as you, know, you brought, you brought children in this world, the process is the same, but every childbirth is different, right? Mm-hmm. It's a unique child. And even if it's the same mother and the same father, how different they are. Look at your kids, a brunette, a redhead, a blonde, and a dark. Yeah. You know? And yet, and that's the beauty, the uniqueness of each child, the uniqueness of each childbirth into eternal life. And there are true labor pains. I was going to say, my um, experience with my dad was just, there were some similarities with that, but like very vastly different in, in a lot of ways, though, because he, um, and I think a big part of it is because his illness was so young. Um, sure. And that he, and so quickly... Yeah, with his image, they thought it was, well, he was misdiagnosed with different things, but like he started really going downhill when he was only like 49. Oh, yeah. So it was an early onset. And then, yeah, but he, I mean, we had a, it was kind of a little slower, but he he passed away at 53 and I took care of him for the past, the last, really the last two years. That's when he got from Colorado. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, that's, that's even harder when you're younger. Well, and it was hard because like he, for him, would not let go of that control. Sure. You know, you talked about how your dad, yeah. like, there was those slow things. Well, it was fast, and he, it was a big struggle with that, sure. that control aspect. And control was kind of something he dealt with <laughs> for years sure. before that. But um, I remember he was living in a long-term hotel, and they essentially kicked him out. Like, they tried, like, they were, because he was falling. It needed more care. And I would kind of, and they couldn't get into his, like, they had that sure. lock, because they knew Yeah, that's a liability. Yeah, there was a liability. But at one point, like, I think before that, I had, because I was living out of state, um, my, the rest of my family that's wasn't able to really be involved. Sure. I had one friend who was really able to help, and she was, I think she's the one who, like, we were trying to get a hold of him or something, and she went over there and had them, like, open the door and found, you yeah. know, help find him. Um, but he, uh, I had adult protective services come and check on him and they told me, well, he, he isn't, you know, as they, they said he told, had capacity. He still. had capacity. And yeah, so it's a fine there was nothing that, like he might be making poor the, choices, you know, poor choices, but we can't do anything about it because, you know, they couldn't so, intervene if they judge it. Yeah. So I think there's this, there's definitely this like very yeah. difficult um, aspect of caring for whether it's your age parents or another relative or a family or friend or, you know, somebody when they're, you know, when you see them like making the, not the choices that are healthy for themselves or others. Like, and that was it, uh, with him with driving. I had to eventually just take his car with me to Colorado. Yeah. Um, thankfully he didn't uh, say I stole it or something. Right, but, no. No, um, no, there's a real discernment yeah. and there's no, like I said, there's no uh, perfect recipe that works 
every time. So it's kind of like if you're cooking, you use what you have. And I also think it's very important to not go it alone. Um, I want to touch on that, to not go it alone, though, because I think that there's a lot of times that caretakers feel very alone. I have a friend who her grandma was living with her, her parents, with my friend's parents, and um, her mom would not feel like she could do anything. And she didn't want to ask anybody to help, but she was constantly helping, you know, taking care of her. All we couldn't do, like, didn't feel like she would go out, was constantly taking care of her. And she finally, she ended up moving her, and she, she was doing, she was kind of doing fairly poorly at times. She ended up moving her into an assisted living or nursing care. She just, she wasn't able to do that anymore. And her grandmother now is like thriving. My, my friend, she was right. like, I, I feel say, like, she's like, it's I not always like a failure. saved in her sure. life yeah. because now she's like, Oh, well, I don't want to ask somebody to help me go to the bathroom. I'll just walk there. Now, you know, instead of, cause right. when she was living at home with, or living with, with her, her daughter, she was having her, she was asking her to do all these things. She would, you know, bring her food. and There's and a social so. component that's yeah. very important. And so, it, and that's why it has to be adapted. And, you know, it would be hard to like foresee every scenario, but if any of your podcast listeners um, have a specific situation, it doesn't mean I'll have an answer and I don't consider myself an expert, but there's been quite a bit of experience. And I think that's like, more experienced mothers can pass on ideas and things that they've struggled with or learned from to new mothers. Well, I think it's the same thing in this um, time of life um, with terminal illness or aging. I, I think sometimes what I could be able to do, even if we can't specifically help the person in the situation, we could connect to mm -hmm. resources, referrals, or other persons that have that expertise or have that experience or could maybe... There might be a simple solution that, you know, and that's why prayer, a collaborative, cooperative approach and um, creativity and just necessity kind of ends up blossoming into some situations we wouldn't have thought of. Well, and I really loved your comparison of end of life, you know, being born into eternal life of God comparing it to childbirth and that beginning of, of motherhood and how each birth is different, each death is different, or in each situation of aging is different. As mothers, you know, sometimes when we get, we feel isolated. Like I know that I had a big postpartum depression issue with my second child and because I felt isolated. So you're talking about not doing, you know, even mm -hmm. at the end of, of life or those you're dealing yeah. with aging of family members or friends and not doing that alone. How you said earlier that it takes a village and we hear that a lot when we're talking about raising our children, but right. also when we are at the end of our life. And I think that's also just a beautiful, like pro-life message in general. When we talk about wound to tomb, it is just that, it takes a village just through life to get through life <laughs> and, just, right. and we to need journey together. On the journey and, that's, and, and I think that's a strength we have as women to work in that collaborative effort. And, um, but like I said, I was really impressed with the strength and the humility and the respect of my brothers and my brother-in-law, my goodness, he was such a good caregiver for my father, like physically helping me do the care for him when they would come to visit. Extraordinary. He's not even Catholic, but he had been with his father when he died. And he just, out of love and respect, rose to the occasion in a way that was was admirable. And so I, I just think the more we 
are in this together in this life's journey at whatever stage of life, the better it is. And I think um, as good as virtual reality can be for some people, this real reality of being in it together. Um, and maybe that's why God gave me this call within a call for gold, not because of anything of me, but because of a heritage received and experienced, even though I don't live it out well or with the same patience and grace and kindness as, as I saw my mother and father do as we were growing up, the desire's there and we have something to tend towards because that's an answer for our time. Because I don't think the model of care of the elderly being a big business, even hospice care being a big business, it's now a money-making thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't regret people making their money, but I regret that sort of being robbed or usurped of what really should be a faith-filled family um, function in terms of a grace and a give and a take. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but I just think we need to, just as we need to reclaim the education of our children for the values that we want, not what society is saying through the media or through the status quo, um, we need to reclaim this time of life. Growing old is not easy. And that's what I, I don't remember if I ever said it, but my mom was taking care of her mother-in-law and my grandmother. And my grandmother said to my mother, if I'd known how hard it was to grow old, I would have treated Gigi differently. She didn't treat her badly, but she just didn't get it, that it just wasn't just this walk in the park and this picnic, an easy thing to do to grow old. Gigi was my great-grandmother. And my mother told me that. And I realized, you know, none of life is easy, but all of life is beautiful. And we do need to eat each other at each stage. And so I love that you as mothers and wives are coming together as sisters in the Lord to encourage women on the journey. Well, we want to do that for all stages of the journey. And maybe that's where gold humbly, but truly has a role to play in God's design. You know, it's not rocket science, but it's not easy. Sister, if I could ask you sure. to speak just a word of encouragement to a specific situation, which I'm going to describe. Okay, to you. I'll try to. You, and this is just your blessing over these individuals that are in this. You mentioned a lot about being, you describe yourself as a midwife of souls. That's part of your vocation. Um, and that reminds me of a poem that's sometimes attributed to St. John of the Cross, uh -huh. where he says, each one of us is the midwife of God to other souls, where we deliver and bear him to the world. And so this subset of our listeners that I'm thinking of and empathizing with right now are our listeners who, whose, whose parents are indeed aging and they do not have faith mm -hmm. or any sort of, and could possibly be hostile to their children's faith sure. as they care for them. Mm. And I just, I know that that is a reality for sure it is. Sure it is. of us. And just um, as the parents suffer when they see their children not sharing the faith that they shared with them. I mean, I, I've seen so many elderly people suffering from praying for their children to come back to the church or back to their faith. As you said that, it was the attitudes came to mind. You know, blessed are you when people insult and hate you and persecute you on account of me. Now, I wouldn't wish that on anybody to find hostility in the face of 
accompanying a, a non-believing parent. Or even just apathy, like a general right. apathy of right. the parent as they approach these end stages right. to the eternal realities that are approaching them. The one thing I can say, yeah, the one thing I can say is, I guess I've been doing this 32 years of vows, so I've been doing this for 34 years, and then a little bit of experience at a time. So, you know, it's been quite a while. I do not think I recall any time I could say I saw somebody die atheist. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean you get this, you know, dying declaration. Right. But what I am more convinced of than probably anything else in the world is that because God, who's created us and knows us personally, I am just very convinced. I can't prove it. But all I can say is I'm convinced that God calls us home when we're most ready to receive his love. And that sounds Beautiful. probably really hard for people that have had a tragic loss, an early loss, a violent loss. Those things happen. But I'm in awe of God's personal touch. And sometimes it's been like loud and clear, and other times it's been very faint and would maybe seem weak, but it's nonetheless there. And I would only tell those listeners of yours that are struggling to keep praying and to keep loving in the people that of gold that we've cared for. You know, I'm very careful because since I wear a habit, I already say what I believe in. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's a reminder to me. And it's also a sign of there's something more than this life that I've banked on. There is a God and I've given my life to him. And it does, it's no thanks to me, it's all thanks to his call, but that's what this uniform represents. So I'm very careful to not push or do any proselytism. I don't think I said that quite right now. I feel like just syllables in it. Um, <laughs> that is a hard word. I'm, 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 I'm very careful not to proselytize or to push or to have anything that could seem I'm caring for you because I expect something from you to become Catholic right. or to yes. tell me something you think I want to hear. Right. We just try to do it, no strings attached. Now, but inevitably, there will be a question. And sometimes it isn't shared if there is family with the family. Right. But it's safer to do it with someone who's an outsider or an objective party. You know, sometimes it's easy. And for me, it's easier to bear my soul in spiritual direction or confession to someone that I don't deal with every day, you know? Um, and they'll inevitably ask, Sister, do you really think there's something after this? Yeah. Or do you believe God could forgive me this that I did? Nobody else knows about it. Or do you, I mean, there's been so many times and ways, and then the person goes, not when and how we would have thought, but in a time that I have this, so it doesn't mean that I take it for granted or I've become accustomed to people's dying, but I'm so convinced of God's personal call and care for that beloved son or daughter that he knows that maybe doesn't even know they're a beloved son or daughter. And, and that's okay. That's the mystery that is God's and between that soul and their creator. And so I don't, I don't want this to sound blasé or 
Like, I don't take for granted either that the enemy of our souls is after us till the end. You know, the word agony, when you're at your last agony, it means battle or fight. So I would say to your friends that do have faith and are concerned about a parent or a loved one or a friend or a neighbor, pray like it all depends on you and trust like it all depends on God. Because, I mean, I've seen some very holy people have difficult times. Like I remember as a young sister, I thought I was praying by this priest who was just known to be this holy priest. It was in France. And it doesn't matter if I name a name, but anyway. Um, I'm not even sure I remember his name, but I remember I, I see the bed, I see the priest, and this older sister, there was like just this noise and thrashing, and there was just this disquiet. This mm-hmm. it was and all of a sudden she got the holy water and started dousing the bed and praying. Mm-hmm. And I thought, my God, he's, have mercy, he's gonna die by drowning. Because <laughs> I but and then there was a call that came over later. But there was, I think, this good and holy priest, I think the enemy of his soul wanted to try and get him at the last minute because he hadn't been able to get him the rest of the time. So I'm not taking lightly, like, just, oh, we coast into heaven. We can't be presumptuous. But we also, if I, so I I wanted to preface, what because I started to say, I don't worry about them. And I don't mean that in a presumptuous way. I'm not presumptuous God's grace. But... I think everybody does the best they can. And we do the best we can. I don't think we've ever had a perfect accompaniment or perfect care given. But we do the best we can. And God's grace is sufficient. And so I would tell whoever it is that's concerned or struggling or even getting the brunt of a less than gracious person they're trying to help and care for. I mean, I've been spit on. I've been thrown out of a room. I've been called all kinds of names. Blessed are you. Right. But when we come back, by God's grace, and still feed them Mm -hmm. or change them or wash their sweaty brow. Or forgive them when they say horrible things. Right. (laughs) Then blessed are we because we start to become a little bit more like our Heavenly Father Mm -hmm. who has his reign on the good and the bad and who shines his sun on us. Like, you don't stop loving your child when they're being an absolute embarrassment, you know, the back of church or here in the house or, you know, I mean, I know one time I, my sister-in-law called me and she said, this godson of yours, <laughs> I think I'm going to leave him in Walmart. He was two and I could hear a screaming in the background. And, you know, but now when I see this nice young man who's got a responsible job and is as polite as he can be, and you're like, is that that two-year-old that you wanted to, not take home. We're cutting four <laughs> molars at our house right now. There you go. And it's hard. And uh, so I just wanted that you'll have the grace, but it's okay to say it's hard. Yeah. And that's why now elder abuse, neglect, mistreatment happens most often within a family setting. So as good as it is to say, take care of them, when we can't do it, right. it's Please call for help. I think that's important that you said that, and that you because you can people, be at your wit's end, as could be right. a parent. You know, you hear people inadvertently a screaming child at night that doesn't know what to do and shakes the child. Right. You know, they didn't want to do that, right. Right. but somehow they got to a, a breaking point. Right. So we don't want to have each other get to breaking points. And I think it's good that, and you that's why Sister Marie's buying a retreat this month. <laughs> I was supposed to do it four years ago, and it didn't happen. 
So I'm going to be present to your parent. You need them to right. be in the care of someone else. I think it's important. Or even to say something that. Like, and you work it out. Yeah. Maybe you could work out a deal where yeah. somebody comes in one day a week or two nights a week, or, or you, they go out to a, a day place. Maybe they come over to gold for a whole day once a week mm-hmm. and they end up having a ball and you get a day off, you know, mm-hmm. or, you it's know, like the importance of a date. <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly it. When you've had too much time with the kids, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I have, I have a friend who said, Maria, and she was our valedictorian's doctor. And she said, I can't put a full sentence together anymore, you know. <laughs> and I said, Well, and she was the one I thought would make the perfect nun. She was open to it. And when I started feeling this call, I'm like, Lord, would you call Teresa? She's in Haiti with the missionaries of charity, in case you don't know, open to religious life. <laughs> I don't have anything to do with this. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to marry Mark or Jim. Call <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> and so here she is, and she was trying to homeschool. And, you know, it, many times I thought Teresa would have been such a better nun. And I think I'm maybe was more geared to do what she's doing. Yeah. But then you know what? Then we don't rely on our That's right. capabilities. That's right. I think I was less cut out to do what I'm doing. Right. And she was maybe less cut out to do what she was doing. But by God's grace... She's a faithful wife and mother, and her second son just got engaged yesterday. And here I am, plugging along, feeling like one step forward, ten steps back on this road to holiness. But we don't go it alone. And that's why he sent the disciples out to fight too. As much as we need time alone, we need each other. And when somebody, if one of your podcast listeners, whoever it may be, is struggling in a situation, whether it be in caregiving for a child, in parenting, call on these wise women who maybe have been there and can have an idea. Well, if it's also on the other end, caring for an aging parent or a terminally ill spouse or a aunt or uncle or neighbor that's you don't, you know, you're banging your head against the wall about, well, you can call me. My number is 405-778-1107. Doesn't mean I'll have an answer, no, but it does mean I'll pray with you and for you and help you find an answer. And it's sometimes in talking about it together that a light will shine. And sometimes we find our own answer as we're trying to explain the problem. We're like, that's my therapy. I never thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I I just want to say, don't let the heartache and the hard um, eclipse the beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's something about them that are the golden years. Mm -hmm. Um, And let us not deprive ourselves and the next generations of the gift of even in their vulnerability. I saw my nieces and nephews, so their grandchildren, even in his diminishment, as the world would say, loving and honoring their papa. And a gift it was for that not to be hidden from them, for them to see him, to be around his coffin after he died, to send him off with the gift and the grace of the, the funeral mass and the, the rites and the rituals of the church that are so rich. I have to admit, with all due respect to all my Protestant friends, my Jewish sister, my, my Methodist brother-in-law, all of them, I have never been so happy and grateful and blessed to be a Catholic as when I participate yes. in a Catholic funeral. Oh, and I don't mean that in a stuck-up way. No, it's I mean it beautiful. in a way that it's it carries true. you on. And I think the tradition of the church for accompanying death and dying and grieving is so 
wise and wonderful. Does it make the greetings easy? No, but it makes it possible. And the church is a beautiful mother in that. So I, I think we're very, very blessed. And to even have the prayers of the dying. And so for those that have somebody that doesn't have faith, I still ask when they, you take each one as where they are, but I sometimes ask, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. And then depending on how they receive that, would you like us to pray together? Mm -hmm. You know, and I never force anything, but you you, don't get turned down. When you show Mm -hmm. them love, they're going to see God. Yeah. That's our habit. That's the lay habit in caring for us. The habit that we wear is that love that we show. It's Colossians. Put on, clothe yourselves then. And heartfelt compassion oh. and humility and mercy and all those things that I need more of. <laughs> and all I can think of when you're talking about how life is hard, but there's the beautiful, is that, you know, we kind of had the beauty of the resurrection without the crucifixion. It and is. The, the... It, and, and you nail it. And, and I'd actually, anybody that's in the Oklahoma City area, we intentionally for that reason, because it's so key to this ministry, is honoring the whole of the Paschal Mystery. So tonight at 9 o'clock, on Thursday nights, we start all-night adoration in our Good Shepherd Chapel, and it goes through the 3 o'clock hour where we close with Divine Mercy. And we can take prayer intentions at those times. You can stop in. The chapel's open. And and you can stop at any time anyway. But we have a specific time to pray with Christ in Gethsemane, because we all, if the Son of God had a time of knowing he was coming to his death, but even he was like, oh, Father, if this cup could pass, not my will, but yours be done. We all have our Gethsemane moments. And we all are going to be with people that in their own way are sweating blood in their Gethsemane moments. And we may not be up to the task like, you know, Peter, James, and John that fell asleep, but we're called to be present. And it really is in the pod that was the first word that came to his presence in prayer, knowing there's a plan and a purpose. And and so we, we live that Gethsemane time and then close with divine mercy, which Christ asked to be prayed for all those who are sick, suffering, and at their agony and, and who, are, who are at the time of death. So that's a place to maybe come away and pray for a while. Um, so I offer that. We had been doing it at our home in South Oklahoma City and just transferred it to the Good Shepherd Chapel and more. Um, but the Paschal Mystery, we we live that time of Holy Thursday, those times of communion, of agape, love, and fellowship. We live those times of, of, of agony in the garden. We live those times of um, caring of the cross, being Veronica, being Simon, being Mary, being women of Jerusalem. And then we live that time of Jesus's, you know, the time of the seven last words, the time of the actual passion on the cross. Um, and then we live that time of waiting. And I think Mary's such a great role model and mentor for us as she is at all stages of our life as women. And, and not even to be, she's a good one there for the guys too, but as, as mother and mentor and model, whether we're, a spouse and biological mother, or we're, we're living a consecrated life um, and a spiritual mother. And so standing at the foot of the cross, she'll be there with us. We're called to be John, the, the disciple, the one whom Jesus loves, with and for others, um, just being present. And then after the burial, 
to be waiting in hope and to believe in those first rays of the resurrection and to look for those signs to share in hope what the fullness of life will be for all of us. So we get a little glimpse of that here. We really do. Um, and each person, it's different. It really is so unique. And yet we can learn from each one and, and learn from one another. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for who you are and what you do. And and thank you for praying, um, not only you here present um, for the podcast, but those that are listening, thank you for praying for the Gospel of Life disciples and dwellings. Please keep us in your prayers. And um, we live on volunteer help and on donations. um, And just any way that we can be of help to you, we would want to be. It's a very humble uh, small grassroots ministry, but hopefully one heart, one life at a time. It can bring God glory and help us all live our mission respecting and promoting life from moon to tomb. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you.